Amen. Like I said, it's great to see you here this evening, but if you haven't been with us, one of the things that we have already learned is that all Torah, this word that is part of my title, it's the Hebrew word, which means to fear not or to be not afraid. And as we've already learned, it is one of God's most common and frequent commands given in scripture to his people. Not just to those who lived thousands of years ago, but it's a command that God speaks to us today as well. Because the reality is God doesn't want any of his people. He doesn't want any of his children. He doesn't want any of the sheep of his flock to be overcome by fear, to be ruled by fear. He wants us to be ruled by faith like we talked about last week. Amen. Because the reality is faith moves us forward while fear holds us back. Faith has the power to move the enemy out of our way. And faith has the power to move God on our behalf. As we've learned, faith paves the path to our promise and it helps us to possess the land while fear keeps us from it. Fear allows someone else to drink the milk, eat the honey. Possess the land. I don't know about you, but I want the fullness of God's promise in my life. I want to drink the milk and I want to eat the honey and I want to eat the grapes that God has in store for me spiritually. Amen. But the reality is and what we're going to learn and what we've learned over the last couple of weeks is we can't enjoy the land that's flowing with milk and honey. We can't drink the milk. We can't eat the honey. We can't enjoy the grapes if we're operating in a spirit of fear. If we allow the spirit of fear to have control in our lives, if we want to move forward and possess the land, then we must have faith and not fear the spirit of faith and not the spirit of fear. One of the things that we have to remember is in Hebrews eleven six, it tells us that without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please the Lord. Now you can try to reword that. You can try to reframe that. You can try to repicture that however you want. But, uh, but in all reality, no matter which way you look at it or however you try to reframe it, the truth is without faith, it is impossible, the Bible says, To please the Lord or it is impossible to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, one of the things that we need to learn and understand is that if faith and fear are the opposite of one another, which they are, do the study, read it. I'm going to teach you a little bit tonight. Faith is the exact opposite of fear and fear is the exact opposite of faith. So what we have to understand is that if it, if the Bible teaches us that faith and fear are the opposite and if, if the Bible tells us that when When we don't have faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. We can also say that when we have fear, it's impossible to please the Lord as well. If it's impossible for those without faith to be pleasing to the Lord, then it is impossible for those that that are with fear to please the Lord as well. I don't want to get too teachy or theological, and I don't want you to get lost here. I know we all have fear from time to time in our lives. But what I'm talking about is that when when that fear is allowed a place to rule and roam in our lives, or or that fear is granted a place to rule, rule, rule and roam, excuse me, in our mind, that it's in those moments that it is impossible for us to please the Lord, church. What this scripture teaches me is that it's displeasing. Fear is displeasing to God and fear is highly disappointing to God. 
Fear is what displeased God when the Israelites stood at the edge of the promise in Kadesh Barnea. And fear is what kept them from going to the going into the promised land. What we have to remember and understand is that God was highly displeased with the Israelites when they allowed fear to keep them from the promise that they set before him. In the same way, one of the things that we have to learn and understand is that when we give fear the right to rule in our life, it's displeasing to God. And we have to understand that. The truth is, church, when we walk in fear, our steps are displeasing to God. When the children of Israel came to the edge of the promise... And the promise was laid out before them. And we go through the whole study. You understand that at that point, when they looked at the giants and they went into the land, they walked in fear. And it was highly displeasing to God. So in the same way, all I'm trying to teach you is that when we walk in fear over any area of our life, then our steps are just as displeasing to God. When our words are filled with fear, and you know what I'm talking about. You know when your words are filled with fear instead of faith. When your words are filled with faith, they are fully pleasing to God. But when our words are filled with fear and they're filled with doubt, and they're filled with grumbling and complaining, please understand grumbling and complaining is a form of fear. Because what grumbling and complaining does, it's, it's, it's fearful of the fact that God just isn't able to meet my needs or able to, to, to change this situation or change this circumstance. So instead of speaking by faith and claiming and believing what God has for us, we begin to grumble and we begin to complain. We begin to allow our words to be filled with fear, and those words become displeasing to God. So all I'm simply trying to teach you is that as we communicate and as we talk and as we speak in a spiritual sense, we need to make sure that our words are filled with faith and not fear. I have faith and I trust God that if you're with me, no one can stand against me. I I trust and believe that your love never fails, no matter what the devil is bringing my way. I I trust and believe, Father God, that you're Jehovah Rapha, the one that heals me, that, that your promises. You understand what I'm saying? Our words have to be filled with faith. And when our words are filled with faith, guess what happens? The devil moves out of the way and the kingdom of God moves on our behalf. But when our words are filled with fear... It ties the hands of God and God can't perform miracles and he can't do the things that he needs to in our life. In the same sense, when our decisions are based in fear, then those decisions are displeasing to God as well. Please be careful about making decisions in your life when you are being ruled or intimidated by fear. Because that very decision that you make can be extremely displeasing to God. You need to make sure before you make serious life choices and even minimal life choices that those choices that you make are based on faith in God and not fear, church. Because when you make decisions that are based in fear, they can become highly displeasing to God. The children of Israel made a decision to not go in and possess the promise. And that decision was displeasing to God. And because it was displeasing to God. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, church. That's the depth of making. That's that's what can happen when you make a decision that is founded in fear instead of faith. It can keep you in the wilderness. So please be careful about the decisions that you make. They must be founded in faith and not in fear. Sometimes, church, I believe that we take fear far too lightly. Sometimes we don't seem to think that God considers it an offense, but the reality is fear is an offense to God. 
Fear, when we allow it to rule and reign in our lives, it becomes an offense to God. Why? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear doesn't come from God. And when we allow the spirit of fear to move in this temple of God, it is an offense to God. And that's what we need to understand. I'm not here to condemn anybody tonight because, listen, I've struggled with fear and I've dealt with fear just like all of you do. But what we need to understand is that when we allow it to rule or roam in our life or to establish itself in our life, it is an offense to God. It was offending to God. It was an offense to God when he placed a promise in front of his people and they refused to go in and take it. It is an offense to God when he lays a promise in front of our lives and he encourages us and he tries to build us up and he tries to to move us forward in our faith. It, It becomes an offense to God when we operate in fear instead of faith. It's offensive to him. And we need to understand that so that so that we can. Begin to possess the promise and be what? Pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes, like I said, I think we take it too lightly. But we have to remember that when fear comes into our life, we all we have to be able to identify it immediately. This is not the spirit of God. This is not a, a godly spirit. This is not a heavenly spirit. This is a spirit that has come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. It's come to take away. It's not come to add to my life. It's come to take away from my life. We have to identify it and then deal with it, church. The reality is God has called us to walk in His Spirit, to be controlled by His Spirit, and not the spirit of the world, not the spirit of fear, not the, the spirit of doubt, not the spirit of, of the devil, church. We need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. In Habakkuk 2.4, in Romans 1.17, and there's other scriptures as well, God tells us that the righteous live by faith. You'll know that scripture. The righteous live by faith. The righteous don't live by fear. The righteous live by faith. And when you study that out, church, it means this, the righteous. It means the morally upright. It means the right-minded. They are moved and they are prompted and they are motivated by faith and not by fear. The righteous are moved by faith. The righteous are motivated by faith. The righteous are prompted by faith. They are controlled by faith. That's what this passage means. It means the righteous, the right-minded, the upright, the sons and daughters of God who call themselves born-again believers, they are to live by faith and not by fear, church. But the reality is when we are controlled by the spirit of fear, what this tells me, when you study the word righteous that he's using here, the righteous, the right-minded, think about that. Because what, I, what, I, what did I teach you the first time we were together is that the first thing that fear tries to do, it tries to stabilize your mind. It tries to take away your right-mindedness and the soundness of your mind. It's why God said, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of what? Of a sound mind. Fear comes to destabilize your mind. And so what we have to understand is that the righteous or the right-minded, they live by faith. And when you and I live by fear... When you and I are moved by fear or motivated by fear or prompted by fear or controlled by fear, the Word of God tells me that at that moment I'm not in my right mind. It means that, that, that when I am not in my right mind, that the devil has more influence over my life than he should. Don't, that's why I said we should never make decisions when we're in a place of fear. Because when we're in a place of fear, we're not in the right mind. How many of you know, you've been there, I've been there. You can make panic decisions when you're in the midst of fear. 
You can make silly, stupid decisions when you're in the midst of fear. You can make hasty decisions when you're in the midst of fear, when you're not in your right mind. But that's what fear does. When it's allowed to rule and reign in our life, we are not of right mind. And we need to be careful the decisions that we make when we find ourselves there. So when we find ourselves in that place of fear, you know what we need to do when fear is conquering? God, I come against this spirit of fear. Because you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So, God, give me a sound mind right now. Give me power right now. Let me understand the love that you've lavished upon me that we sang about because perfect love casts out all fear. You know, the first thing you need to do when you find yourself in a place of fear, immerse yourself in the depths of God's love. Let him wrap himself around you. Ask him to restore you to a right mind so that when you make decisions, you're making right decisions. So that when you take a step, you're taking the right step. So that when you speak a word, you're speaking the right word. Restore unto me, God, a, a sound right mind. I hope you're grasping and understanding what I'm talking about. Because if the devil can control your mind, he controls you. If he can control your mind, he controls your life. If he controls your mind, he controls your decisions. If he controls your mind, he controls your words. If he controls your mind, he controls your steps. And this is why I'm saying we cannot allow ourselves to be controlled by fear, but by faith instead, church. The reality is we have to be moved and prompted and motivated by faith, church. The righteous live by faith. They're moved by faith. Like the woman with the issue of blood who moved or or who was moved to to make her way through the crowd, moved to press through the crowd, moved to uh, in order to touch the hem of Jesus's garment. She was moved, church, to make her way to Jesus Christ just like she was moved. So should we be moved by faith as well and not by fear. When you look at the woman with the issue of blood that had plagued her for years, you'll find that she could have feared rejection and ridicule from the town's people. I don't want to get too teachy on this, but I'm giving you an understanding of what's taking place. If you don't know the story, this woman with the issue of blood was considered unclean. And as she was walking towards Jesus, the crowds were actually yelling out, unclean, unclean, unclean. It was against the law for a woman in her condition to be found in public because she was considered unclean. The law said that she had to stay home. The law said she had to go through all of these rituals before she stepped out the door in order to make herself unclean. But what I'm trying to teach you here is simply is that that she could have feared the rejection or the ridicule of the townspeople as she made her way through the crowds. She could have feared the outcome or the punishment of the spiritual leaders, like I said, for breaking the law. They could have condemned her. They could have sentenced her. They could have punished her. And, and her fear, church, could have, could have kept her home. Her fear could have been allowed to rule and reign. Her fear could have kept her at home, like I said. Her fear could have caused her to curl up into a, a closet and, and die. That's how sick she was. She needed a miracle in her life. But she chose not to allow fear to have control over her. She allowed her faith to press through all of the things that would stand in her way. Press through all of the fear. Press through all of the ridicule. Press through all of the thoughts that would be coming into her mind. Listen, the devil didn't want her to be made whole. The devil didn't want her to be healed. The last thing the devil wanted was for her to touch the hem of God's garment. 
and allow the power of God to flow into her life. Listen to me. The last thing the devil wants you to do is grab a hold of God's power. The last thing he wants you to do is touch the hem of God's garment. The last thing he wants to see happen in your life is for the power of the kingdom of God to flow into your life and to set you free from whatever situation you might be facing. If it's a sickness in your body or a sickness in your mind or something in your finances or something in your marriage or something in your family, the last thing the devil wants to see is for you to touch the hem of God's garment and allow his power to flow through him. So what will he do? He'll come against you with fear. He wants you to crawl up in the corner and die. He wants to keep you from coming to the house of God. He wants to keep you from worship, keep you from praise, keep you from all of those things that would allow the power of God to come into your life. She could have allowed fear to control her, but she was moved by faith and her faith moved the kingdom of God on her behalf and healed her. How many of you want the kingdom of God to move on your behalf? then we cannot be ruled by fear. We must be ruled by faith. If you want the kingdom of God to move on your behalf, if you want His power to flow from His garments into our lives, church, and change the situations or circumstances of life, then we must obey the command to al-tirah, to not be afraid, and do whatever we have to do to press through until we receive the power of God in our lives, church. Jesus himself said that we must fear not, but have faith instead. He said, fear not, have faith instead. Now listen, if Jesus said it, we better listen. Fear not, but believe instead. You can interpret that, fear not, but have faith instead, because they're opposite of one another, because faith moves the kingdom of God, and fear moves the kingdom of darkness. So we have to understand. Over the last couple of weeks, we've learned that fear comes to destabilize the government of God in our lives. It comes to overthrow our mind, like I talked about in What we call the control center, the brain, the mind, it's the control center of our life or the control center of our body. And he comes to overthrow that church. Fear, as we should know, comes to steal. It comes to kill. It comes to destroy. It comes to take away church. But faith helps us to have life and life more abundantly. How many of you want life more abundantly? Then we have to operate in the spirit of faith and not the spirit of fear. Faith brings the abundance of God into our lives, church. Let me explain. Faith multiplies the loaves and the fishes. Faith keeps the oil jar full. Faith keeps the meal multiplying. You remember the little woman that she had just a little bit of oil and just a little bit of meal, but she had faith to trust it to God. And the oil jar never ran dry. It kept on multiplying day after day after day. That's what faith does. It multiplies the kingdom of God in our life. It multiplies the abundance of God in her life. She had a little spoonful, a tablespoon of meal. And she used it and gave it to God with a spirit of faith. And every day it was multiplied. That's what faith does, church. It multiplies. It it releases the abundance of God into our life, church. While fear chokes it out, 
Fear chokes the the abundance of God. It stops the flow of God. It stops the the blessings of God in our life. And so if you want the abundance, if you want the, the flow, if you want the blessings of God to continue in your life, you have to have a spirit of faith, not a spirit of fear. Fear is what it takes for us to enjoy the land that is flowing with milk and honey. I just want you to understand the promises of God and what is available to us when we operate in a spirit of faith instead of a spirit of fear. God outlined the dimensions of the promised land to the children of Israel. He called it a land that was flowing with with milk and honey, flowing with provision, flowing with abundance, flowing with blessings, flowing with goodness, flowing with whatever you want to call it, the goodness of God. It was it was a land that was flowing means it means there was a constant flow of provision. There was a constant flow of sustenance, a constant flow. When we talk about milk, it's probably milk that was coming from the cattle or whatever it was that was roaming on the hills. When we talk about honey, it was from the honeycomb that was was rich throughout the land. I'm, I'm talking about abundance and sustenance. It was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It just didn't have a little pool or a puddle of it. It had a constant flow. And what what I'm trying to teach you here is that is that faith is the only thing that allows us to to experience and receive that constant flow of God's blessings into our life. When we allow fear to come into our life, it pinches the hose. It dams up the river. It keeps the, the flow of God's abundance and blessings from coming into our life. And that's what the devil tries to do with fear. He tries to dam up God's goodness and blessings in our life. Listen, I've been there. I know some of you have been there. It feels that you get into this place of fear and all of a sudden, you know, the dam gets built up and and you can't feel the flow of God in your life. You can't feel the flow of the anointing or the flow of power. It seems like you're, you're struggling just to receive something from God. Well, you know what we need to do? We need to rise up in the power that he's given us and we need to break down that wall and we need to break down that dam and we need to operate in a spirit of faith, church, so that the flow and the abundance of God can come into our lives. Faith is what it takes to possess the fullness of the land. I know I'm being teachy, but I want you to understand God outlined it. He said from the mountains and he described the whole promised land all the way to the river, the great river Euphrates. That is the fullness of his blessing. He has that kind of blessing for you and me. He has that kind of abundance for you and me, the fullness. But faith is what it will take to receive the fullness of God's blessings from the mountains all the way to the great river Euphrates. And it's exactly why God said all tears or fear not before they were to go in and possess that promise and and to uh, possess that land that was flowing with milk and honey because fear will keep you from the fullness of what God has for you. Fear will keep you from the abundance, like I said. It will keep you from the fullness of your promise, but faith will take it, church. Faith will go in and take everything that God has for you. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want everything that God has for me. I want the fullness of his blessing. I want the fullness of his healing. I want the fullness of his promise. When I lay hands on somebody, I want the fullness of his power. When I stand up here and preach, I want the fullness of his anointing. I don't know. I know I don't have to jump and shout and all that to to demonstrate that I have his anointing. 
But I want the fullness of his truth and the fullness of his of his revelation. I want the fullness of his joy, a joy that's unspeakable and what full of glory. And the only way that you and I will ever experience the fullness of God and the fullness of his promise, church, for our marriage or for our kids or for our finances or for our household or any other area of our life, the only way we can enjoy that is if we are moved and live by a spirit of faith and not fear. Fear will keep you from the fullness of what God has for you. If we look back at Israel's failure at Kadesh Barnea in Deuteronomy 13, when God called the people to fear not and said, go up and possess the land like I've already taught you. The Bible tells us in that same passage that it was the time of the first ripe crop. He said it's the time of the first ripe crop. Go up and possess the land. You know what that means? If you don't know what that means, it means that 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 land could have never been more fertile than it was right then. The time of the first ripe crop meant it was the time that the grapes and the time that the crops were at their richest and at their fullest. It was the time that the riverbanks were were overflowing, the Bible says, with nutrients and water and refreshing for the land. It was the time when the the cattle and and the animals were at their most fertile of production. It was the time that the land would, would, was at the, the maximum of its output is the best way that I could say it. It was the time of the first ripe crop. It was the richest time that that land could ever encounter. And that's what God promised to his people. Go up and take the land. It is the, it, it's the time of the first ripe crop. That's how rich God's blessing is to you and me. That's how abundant God's blessing is for you and me. He said, go up and take the land. And what happened? Fear kept them from the fullness of God's blessing. It kept them from the first ripe crop. It didn't just keep them from a little piece, church. It kept them from the fullness of what God had for them, for the richest of his crop, for the richest of his blessings. They could have had all of it. It all could have been theirs. But it wasn't. Why? One simple word. Fear. Fear is what kept them from the fullness of what God had for them, church. When you read it, you'll find out another truth that I want you to get from this because it's what fear does. They weren't only afraid when they went in. They were afraid before they went in. When I read this and study this, I've, I discover that they were afraid before they even saw the giants. Because otherwise they would not have said, hey, let's go send in the spies. Maybe they heard some rumors. Maybe they heard some stories. Maybe somebody had already told them before they saw it for themselves that that land was, yes, it was flowing with milk and honey, but it's filled with giants. Be careful who you listen to. Be, please be careful who you listen to. The whole army of Israel or the whole nation of Israel listened to ten scaredy cats. Ten individuals that were filled with a spirit of fear and it kept them from the fullness of God for 40 years and 40 nights. And you'll find that everyone that was over the age of 21, when they finally got there, wasn't even allowed to go in. All because of the fear that they allowed to rule and reign in their life 40 years before. Fear will keep you from the fullness of what God has for you. But here's what I want you to see here. One of the things that I want you to see is that when they did go in, when the spies, when the, when the, the ten went in, they only went in to spy out the land. They never went in to possess it. Never. They went into the land, but they only went in to spy it out. They didn't go in to possess it, church. And far too often we do the same exact thing. 
We simply spy out the promises of God. We open up the Word and we spy out the promises of wealth. And we open up the Word of God and we spy out the promises of joy. And we open up the Word of God or we come to church and we spy out the promises of healing. And please listen to me, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us searching the Scriptures for for healing or searching the Scriptures for provision or searching the Scriptures for the promises of God. But all that is is spying it out, church. What what, what I want you to understand and learn from this is that when those 12 individuals went in, they went in only to spy out the land and not to possess it. We need to get to the point where we are going beyond spying and got to get to that place where we are possessing. That when we read the Word of God, we claim it as ours, and we stake it as ours, and we believe that it's ours. Not just look at it and, and spy it out. Oh, that's a good promise. Oh, that's a good word. That's a good possibility right there. You see, when they went in, they just went to spy out the possibilities, and they went to spy out the promise of God to see if it was everything, but they never possessed it. And the sad reality is far too many of us live in that same exact place. We come into the house of God and we spy out His goodness and we spy out His promises and we go into the Word and we spy out all of the things that can minister to us, but we never possess them. We never take that Word and we never take faith, the stake of faith, and stab it into the ground and say, That's mine! Because the Lord put it there. How many of you know, I already taught you, if the God put it there, it's yours. The Scripture says that, not me. And we've got to get to the place that when we open up the Word of God and we hear the Word of God and the voice of God speaking to us, we say, that's mine. I'm staking a claim on that promise for my life. I'm staking a claim on that promise for my marriage. I'm staking a claim on that promise for my healing. I'm doing more than spying it out, God. I believe that is for me. You put it there, and I'm staking a claim. It's mine. Listen, I'm not talking about name it, claim it, frame it. I'm talking about believing in the depths of your heart that when you read the Word of God and you hear the voice of God and you see the promise before your eyes that that is for you. This is for me, God. There's been times in my life, listen, where God spoke and I knew it was for me. I knew it was a voice from heaven. And I drew a circle. Remember that circle maker? book that we went through, I drew a circle around it and proclaimed, that's mine. Some of you need to draw a circle around your situation. You need to draw a circle around your son or your daughter. You need to draw a circle around your healing. You need to stake a claim that that son's mine, that daughter's mine, that healing is mine, that business is mine, that promotion is mine, that recovery is mine. It's mine. It's mine. Why? Because God Gave it to me. God gave it to me. Yeah, you're allowed to applaud. God gave it to me. He put it in front of me. But you know what the devil does? That's not yours. God didn't really give that to you. God never really said that. You know what cost Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden? Listening to the devil... When he said, did God really say that? That's what he does. Did God really make you that promise? Is that really yours? And it cost him the promise. It cost him a lot of pain. When we walk by fear, that's what happens. It costs us a promise. 
We need to learn to stake a claim, amen, and just believe that that's for me because God put it in front of me. We need to get past that church. God doesn't want us just spying out his promise and spying out his possibilities. He wants us to possess them. I look at the Christian, the the body of Christ sometimes, and I'm not talking about you. I'm talking overall, and I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about the fact that sometimes when you look at the body of Christ, we look pitifully poor. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the abundance and the goodness of God just being revealed in our lives, church. Sometimes we look pitifully poor because we are not believing what God has said is ours is ours. And we're not possessing it, church. People should look at it, be able to look at our lives and know that we are possessing something from God. That we are possessing something from the kingdom of God. That there's something that we have that they don't have. The world should be able to see that church, but if we're operating in a spirit of fear, we cannot ever be that church. We'll be pitifully poor all of the days of our life. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking spiritually, wealth and health and everything else. The other thing that I want us to see is that when the Israelites went to spy out the land, they only picked a piece of the promise and they left the rest behind. Read it. They went, into the, they went into the promised land, so they didn't go in to possess it. They only went to spy it out, okay, because they were afraid. And the Bible also teaches us that when they went in, they only picked a piece of the promise and they left the fullness behind. Read it. They took a cluster of grapes and left the rest behind. Maybe they took a little piece of the honeycomb and they left the rest behind. Maybe they had a little jar and they milked a cow and they left the cows behind. You understand what I'm saying? They went over to a fig tree and they picked a couple figs and they left the, the, the trees behind. They left the fullness of what God had for them behind. Why? Because of fear. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine walking into a land that was flowing with milk and honey flowing. The richest land I'd ever seen in my entire life. Pick a little grape and be happy with that. But that's what they did. They picked a single cluster of grapes, the Bible says, and left the rest behind. They turned their back on the promise of God. They turned their back on the abundance of God. And we do the same exact thing in our own life. We take a little piece of the promise and we leave the fullness of what God has for us behind. We come into the house of God and we sing a little song and leave the fullness of what God has behind We come in and leave so far too often, church. And there's so many ways I could go with this little nugget of truth. God has a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And far too often we're satisfied with a grape. Sang one song, that's enough, God. Well, we got a little cheer, that's that's enough, God. Pray for five minutes, that's enough, God. I got a little bit, got a little touch, got a little move, got a little dance, I got a little something, and we leave the fullness behind the church. I hope you're understanding this. I hope you understand that God has so much in store for us. And when we go into the land, we have to go in to possess all of it. Can't go in and pick a little grape and leave the rest behind, but it's exactly what they did. And when they did, please, this is, this is another thing that you need to understand. Is that, 
that promise was there whether they whether they possessed it or not, whether they took it or not, whether they inhabited it or not, that promise was there. That land was there. Those cows were there. Those trees were there. The honeycombs were there. And they took a little piece and left. And guess who roamed and, and ruled? Guess who ate their grapes? And guess who ate the honey? And guess who drank the milk? And guess who had the, the olives? And guess who had the guess who had it all? The giants. And that's what happens when we operate in a spirit of fear. Not, on, not only do we not receive the blessing, but somebody else does. And it's usually the enemy church because that's why he brings fear. Because he wants to enjoy taking things from you and keeping things from you. So uh, I don't want to get too lost here, but I just want you to understand that if you want the fullness, if you want the first right crop, then you cannot fear. It's exactly why God spoke to them. Look, we're quarter, quarter after already. He said, fear not. Fear not before you go into this land flowing with milk and honey. Fear not. Why? Because if you're filled with fear, you won't receive the abundance. Because if you're filled with fear, you won't enjoy the, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. Fear not, because I want you to have more than a piece. I want you to have more than a grape. Oh, we brag about that big cluster of grapes. Woo! That's what they did. I mean, the Bible even talks about that that cluster was so big that two people had to carry it. Imagine the whole land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was theirs for the taking. But what was the problem? They were afraid to fight. They were afraid to step out. They were afraid to put their foot on the land. They were afraid to stake a claim. They were afraid to face the enemy. They were afraid to face the giant. That's what kept them from it. And it's exactly why God issued the command before they go in to Al-Tirah, to be not afraid. Because it's going to cost you your promise. You see, one of the things that we under, need to understand, I'm always, as I start winding this down already, they were afraid to fight. And far too often we're afraid to fight as well. What you and I need to understand is that, that if we call ourselves Christians, we are soldiers, church. We're soldiers that are supposed to be fighting the fight, right? What did Paul say when he was done? I fought the fight. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. I ran the race. You and I are soldiers. According to the word of God, we're soldiers of Christ in the army of God. And we are to fear not and go fight the fight. We're supposed to do like David did and go face our Goliath and, and go face our giant or go face our obstacle. We're, we are soldiers that are supposed to fight. But far too often we're afraid. And that's why we don't gain ground. It's why we don't win the, the battle. It's why we don't win the war. Because we're afraid to fight, church. Listen, what you and I need to understand is that if we're afraid to fight for our marriage, you quite possibly could lose it. If you're afraid to fight the enemy, listen, the devil is after your marriage. And if you're afraid to fight for it, you might lose it. The devil is after your family. And if you're afraid to, if you're afraid to fight for it, you're going to lose it. The devil is after your son and your daughter. If you're afraid to fight for it, if you're afraid to get up in the face of the enemy 
and do battle against him so that you can win your son and win your daughter. If you're afraid to face the enemy when it comes to your fine, you're going to lose it, church. That's why he said, do not be afraid, because he understood that there will always be a fight that has to be fought. There will always be a race that has to be run. There will always be a mountain that has to be climbed. There will always be a river that has to be crossed. There will always be an impossibility that has to be confronted. There will always be a Red Sea in our life. And every single time that God said, I'll tirah to his people, or every time he said, fear not, it's because a battle was coming or they were already in the midst of a conflict. Every time he said that. So when he speaks the word al to us today, and if there's anybody that heard me come to the music, when he speaks the word al today, it means a battle's coming. When he says al today, he's trying to prepare you and equip you for a fight. A fight for your marriage. A fight for your mind. A fight for your finances. al It was like a, a pep call. You know, you have pep rallies before the football game. That's what, that's, that's what this shout al-Tarah was. It was to prepare them for the fight. It was to prepare them for the battle. It was to prepare them for victory. Here's one of the things that you and I need to understand is that we have been called soldiers according to the Word of God and not spectators. Soldiers, not spectators. We're the ones that are supposed to be out on the battlefield. We're supposed to be the ones that are fighting. We're supposed to be the ones that are moving the kingdom of God forward, fighting for our marriage and fighting for our families and fighting for the church and fighting for all of those things that, that, that would come against us and come against the church. We, need, we are soldiers, not to be spectators. But the, the sad reality is far too many people in the house of God today are spectators. They're spectators. The house of God is filled with individuals that remind me of the, the sports fan who are up in the cheap seats of the, of the, of the uh, arena or the stadium. And they're cheering and they're booing while the warriors are out on the field fighting. While the athletes are doing all the work, while the athletes are sweating, while the athletes prepared themselves, while the athletes are getting hurt, while the athletes are getting wounded, while the athletes are expending themselves, while the athletes were the one that, that disciplined themselves and made the sacrifices and did everything they needed to do to be prepared for the battle. We got the spectators up in the stadium booing and cheering when things go their way or don't go their way. They're in the cheap seat. And yet they think they have the right to tell those that have prepared themselves how to do what they're doing or that they're doing it wrong. They haven't made the sacrifice. They were too cheap to buy the 50-yard line front row seat, so they got the nosebleed section, and they're the loudest of the crowd. And I'm not here to condemn anybody today, but the sad reality is the house of God is like that sometimes. The house of God is filled with spectators who are sitting in the cheap seats and they think that they can tell the pastor how to do church. They think they can tell the youth pastor how to do youth and the children's pastor how to do children, how the music pastor how should play and how the choir should do their singing and how the executive pastor should do Wednesday night service. They're sitting in the cheap seats and they think they have the right to boo. And they even think they have the right to cheer when they've not paid the price for anything. They haven't paid the price in prayer. 
They haven't paid the price in fasting. They haven't paid the price in, in sacrifice. They haven't paid the price in tithe or, or offering. They haven't paid the price in, in any area. And yet they think they have the right to tell the church how it should operate. I'm, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the church overall. But I want you to understand that this in itself, this is the cheap seat. It doesn't cost anybody to sit in this seat. It doesn't cost anybody to come into the house of God and receive from the church. These are the cheap seats. It doesn't cost anybody to sit here. It doesn't cost anybody anything to listen to the music. It doesn't cost anybody anything to dance. It doesn't cost anybody to hallelujah and shout and get their little move on and their, their groove on. You know, maybe you pay a tithe, maybe you don't pay it, but it doesn't. This is the cheap seat. You know what the costly seat is? And I'm not saying it because I'm here. This is the costly seat. This is the costly seat. This is the costly seat. This is the place where prayer took place. This is the place where fasting took place. This is the place where people are on their knees. This is the place where they sweat and cry for the people of God and the kingdom of God. This is the place that is attacked more than anything else. This place and this place. This is the costly place right here. This is where it costs us something because this is where we have to lay down our life. Not right there. Here. This is where it costs us something. That prayer room over there is where it costs us something. Sitting in the nursery watching the babies while we're sitting in the cheap seats costs something. While the youth pastor is preaching his heart out for kids that are suffering out in the world, that's the costly seat. But the house of God is filled with individuals who only want the cheap seat, the seat that doesn't cost me anything. And yet the individuals in those cheap seats, they think they have the right to boo what's going on up here. And they think they have the right to cheer as well. They don't. Because they had nothing to do with the win and nothing to do with the victory. I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying that's the condition of the church. And until you make that seat more than a cheap seat, it means nothing for you to be in the house of God. And the reason those seats are filled with individuals, the reason we call them cheap seats, I want you to know I, I know where I'm going. Most people sit in those cheap seats because they're afraid to get in the fight. They're afraid what they might look like to somebody. They're, they're afraid what their friend might say. They're afraid what their next door neighbor might say. They're afraid of their reputation or their ego. They're afraid of the sacrifice they might have to make. They're afraid of the, the price that they might have to pay. They're afraid of the commitment that they might have to make. They're afraid of the, the thing that they might have to set aside in life. There, there is fear behind all of that. They're afraid to get on that field like the people that they boo and the people that they cheer. And the only way that we can experience... The power of God and the abundance of God and the victory of God and the milk and honey of God and the promises of God is for us to get out of the cheap seats. 
and have the courage to do what God has called us to do. And that as to be soldiers of Jesus Christ in the midst of a lost and a dying world, to not be afraid to open up my mouth, to not be afraid to lift up my hands, to not be afraid to worship, to not be afraid to come to the altar. My God, when we have altar calls in the house of God, we have to ask everybody to close their eyes and make a secret little confession because they're afraid to walk to the altar. They're worried about what someone's going to say. And we wonder why the church is so unhealthy. We wonder why the church isn't experiencing miracles and wonders and signs. Because it's filled with frady cats. Afraid. They stand behind the pulpit. They're afraid to preach. Thus saith the word of God. So they they give out little tickly messages. This isn't in my notes. I'm, I'm preaching to somebody. I wish it was lies. Fear keeps the house of God and the people of God and the family of God from the abundance that heaven has for us, church. Fear. Fear. Fear strangles us, church. And it's keeping this world from coming to Jesus Christ as well. My God, if the church would get bold. If the people in the cheap seats would get up and get out, things would change. Again, I'm not saying you're in the cheap seats. I also appreciate that you're here on a Wednesday night. You've made the sacrifice. I'm just hoping this fires you up. Like it fired me up. I don't want to be in a cheap seat. I don't want to be the dude in the nosebleed section. I want to be that guy out on the on the 50-yard line. I want to be the guy that scores. I want to be the one that makes the touchdown. I'm the one that wants to hit the home run. I want to score the goal. I want to shoot the basket for Jesus Christ. But the only way that's going to happen is if I all tira. If I be not afraid. And I'm not just talking spiritually, church, but that's what's the most important thing. Fear is keeping so many of us from the abundance of God, what God has. Listen, God has an abundance for you up there and right here. Spiritually and naturally, God has an abundance for you. And fear keeps us from it. That's exactly why he says, al tirah. Because there is a land flowing with milk and honey. That he wants for every one of his people. How many of you want that land? Stand to your feet. How many of you want to be a better soldier? Want to be a better fighter? God, I want to be ruled by faith tonight and not by fear. I want to be able to stake a claim. On what you've called mine. There's some people here tonight need to stake a claim for healing. Because it's yours. Need to stake a claim for that job. Because it's yours. Need to stake a claim for your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter. Because they're gods. Need to stake a claim. Wherever it is that you feel the devil attacking you. You need to be able to stake a claim and say, God, I am believing that's mine. How many of you have got something in your life? That's mine, God. 
I'm going to pray. If you want to come to the altar, that's fine. I don't necessarily feel led to do that. I just want to encourage you that whatever it is, you know it right now in your heart. You feel it, you sense it, you know it. Staking a claim, God, that's mine. And I will no longer be moved by fear, but I will be moved by faith 